0: ago. And this is the eighth part, the eighth message of this series. And today we're going to be focusing on um, the Holy Spirit, or if you're Pentecostal, the Holy Ghost, because Pentecostals love to say the Holy Ghost. Um, and so let's, if you can get to the next slide, let's um, read, read the next part of the creed. So it says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, open brackets, and the son close brackets, who, with the Father and the son, is adored and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. Amen. So before we dive in, perhaps a little bit of a, a bit of context in terms of where we are in this creed. In the previous or sort of seven um, messages, um, the focus of the creed has been primarily about Jesus. And the reason it was on Jesus was because for the early church, the big, the big issue was trying to figure out how Jesus related to the Father. You know, and, and so you know, I think everyone generally agreed that Jesus was divine, but how divine? Was he always divine? Was he, did he always exist? Did God created him? Or was, he, or, did, or, was he, or was he there from the beginning? And this was the kind of debate that was going on at the time. And so the first sort of, sort of seven points of the creed is trying, really trying to bottom bottom out who Jesus is. Um, and also um, highlight what's known as heresies, which is a posh word for the losers. You know, the, the losers. That's, that's basically what it means. Basically, there were different arguments about who Jesus was. Some arguments won, some lost. If you're lost, you are a loser or a heretic. And the, and, and the creeds were kind of highlighting these sort of junky theologies and also bringing clarity onto what's healthy and what's good and what's orthodox in the church. And so once they kind of got Jesus, you know, once they kind of got them up, they wrapped their minds around who Jesus was, the next obvious question was, well, who is the Holy Spirit? And this is where we are this morning. Who and what is the Holy Spirit? So there's only four points. So I'm going to try and rattle through them. Come appreciate. It. I want to give time for the baptisms, but the first point and the most obvious point is the Holy Spirit is a person. Now, I say it's an obvious point because you know as you know, we've, we've been, as a charismatic church we, we kind of know this, but I think sometimes you know we can sort of lose sight of the fact that the Holy Spirit is a person. In Ephesians chapter four, verse thirty, it talks about do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, how does that make sense? Well, it makes sense because the Holy Spirit is a person. He can grieve. He can feel. The Holy Spirit has opinions. He has ideas. The Holy Spirit can listen. The Holy Spirit can speak. The Holy Spirit can move. The Holy Spirit is alive. It's a person. Um, And I think sometimes as as charismatic Christians who, who love the Holy Spirit, who love the gifts of the Spirit, sometimes we can lose sight of the fact that actually we're dealing with a person. I was thinking about uh, a f- a fam- the famous sitcom Friends that was big in the 90s. And, and it was, it was absolutely huge. And I, for the first five and six series of Friends, I thought it was just fantastic. It was just funny. It was just, it was just, it was just consistently funny. But then in the latter series, it kind of lost its mojo a little bit. And the reason that happened was because the producers... What they started to do was to basically to focus all the jokes around the kind of caricatures of the characters. Okay, so each character, there's the six main characters in Friends, had a bit of a caricature. So Monica, you know, she liked to clean a lot, so every joke was about her cleaning. Um, Ross, well, he was a scientific geek. He was into dinosaurs, so every joke was about dinosaurs and being scientific. Um, Phoebe, well, she was just weird, so every joke was about her being weird. Um, um, Rachel liked fashion, so every joke was about her being into fashion. Charlotte, he just spoke weird, so that was kind of his thing. And then Joey... Actually, Joey was quite good. He, I, I like Joey. He, he stayed consistent throughout the whole thing. I liked Joey was good. Even during the bad times, Joey was good. But the rest of the characters kind of lost their way. And the problem was... The problem was, was that the, the producers, they forgot that actually what made Friends special wasn't the caricatures, it wasn't like the quirky little things that the characters did. What made the characters good was the fact that they had stories, and there were characters, they weren't just caricatures, they weren't like the Mr. Men, There were people, um, and people were engaged with their stories and, and had a connection with that. And I think sometimes that can happen with us when it comes to the Holy Spirit. We can sometimes get so carried away with the caricatures of the Holy Spirit, which may be the gifts, and that actually behind these wonderful gifts, is a real person. So tongues, I speak in tongues, and it's, it's, it's cool. It really is cool. But the person behind tongues is cooler, okay? Mirac- miracles and healings are great, but the person behind the miracles, the person behind the, the, the healings is greater. Can I get an amen? Yeah. So we need to remember that. And keep remembering that, you know, especially, as I said, as, as, as charismatic Christians, we, we love the, the, the gifts. But, but please remember that behind all of that is a person of the Holy Spirit. Point number two, the Holy Spirit is God. Again, it might sound kind of obvious, but actually for the, for the early church, um, again, there was a bit of, there was, a, there was, a, there was an inconsistency or, or lack of consensus around, well, what do you mean by that, you know? Um, is, is the Holy Spirit on the same level as God the Father? Or maybe, as some, some believe, that maybe God the Father created the Holy Spirit. Maybe Jesus created the Holy Spirit. Now, there were, there were particular church fathers who, who pushed back pretty hard in those, on those notions. Um, one of was a guy called um, Gregory of Nyssa. I, I like Gregory of Nyssa, because he's, he's quite a cheeky guy, really. Um, and, he, and he's quite facetious, because what he said was, you know, to those who, who suspected that the Holy Spirit was created by the Father. He said, well, if the Holy Spirit was created by the Father, that must mean that God the Father has not one son, but two sons. Uh, oh, perhaps, perhaps the Holy Spirit was created by Jesus. But that means Jesus, the Son, actually is the Father. Because um, he has a son called the Holy Spirit. And God the Father, well, he's not just God the Father, he's God the Grandfather. You can see what the point he was trying to make. Um, Basil, <laughs> Basil, another church father, he, he referenced um, passages in the Bible where, where it talks about the Holy Spirit being so key in the, in, the, in the life of a Christian. So he referenced, say, Matthew 28, verse 19, where he talks about being baptised in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So later on, we're going to baptise a couple of people. We're going to baptise them in the Father, And the Son and the Holy Spirit. Not just the Father. Not just the Father and the Son, like some kind of duet, but the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Absolutely central to the Christian belief. Um, He referenced um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, where he talks about it's the Holy Spirit that even enabled us to be able to confess Jesus as Lord. To even say that Jesus, not you are Lord, cries the Holy Spirit. the Holy Spirit is so central and because it's so central Basil's like no, the Holy Spirit is not some kind of add-on it's not subordinate to God the Father or God the Son but it's actually equal on the level what's smack in the middle of all of this stuff and so it's it's very important to remember that when we're talking about the Holy Spirit yes we're talking about a person but we're also talking about the mighty God he deserves to be glorified he deserves to be worshipped and adored and acknowledged and valued, yeah, and praised. Amen. Point number three: the Holy Spirit is love, and this is an interesting one. Now, when we read the part of the creed, um, you notice there was there was these brackets, and I and I was deliberately I, I deliberately read out the brackets, and the reason that and the brackets basically said it basically goes proceeds from the Father in brackets and the Son, and. And the reason the brackets are there was because in the original creed, they weren't there. Those words weren't there. They were added later by the western side of the church. So you've got the western side of the church and you've got the eastern side of the church. And the western side of the church wanted to add, and the sun, and the eastern side of the church didn't want to add it. Now, this is not so important really, but just for the sake of explaining it, the reason the eastern church didn't want to do it, it wasn't something bad as such, but what it was, there was a, a concern the Eastern Church had, that um, by adding Jesus to that line, they were um, playing towards another loser heresy, you know, and that was called modalism, which was, which was, a, very, it was a piece of junky belief where either there was, was actually God, the Trinity is basically one guy, uh, a bit like one of those masquerade balls, where you have these different masks, so it's basically one guy, and he basically has like three masks, or three modes of behaviour, so he can be the Father, or he can be the Son, or next me he can be the Holy Spirit, um, which is which is complete nonsense. And they were a bit worried that when the Western Church were adding and the Son, that they were kind of sort of mashing the Father and the Son together, and they thought that was unhealthy. But that was not why they were doing it. The reason the Western Church added and the Son was because the Western Church wanted to recognise that the Trinity, which is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, yes, they are distinct, but they work in a sense of cohesion. There's a synergy, there's a unison, the way they operate they, they operate as one. And I, wanted, and I wanted that to be clear in this creed statement. Now, where does love come into all of this? Well, St. Augustine, who, to, to, to be fair, was the main reason why we got the words added, um, is as saying that the three work in unison. He wanted to say that, gee, that, that the Holy Spirit is love, and, and, it's, and, and so for the so Holy Spirit is love, the Holy Spirit is God, which means God is love, and it's this love in which causes the cohesion and the unison of the Trinity. In other words, it's, it's, it's the Holy Spirit love which binds this Trinity together. And so the Holy Spirit is love, the Holy Spirit in action is love in action. And I think that's really important, I think sometimes as Christians, um, we can feel we, we need to perhaps uh, caveat the idea of God being love. You know, sometimes we say things like "Well, God is a God of love, but he's also a God of other things as well. Um, God is a God of love, but it's also a God of justice. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says God is love. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, it says God is it's love. It doesn't say God is a God of love. He's you know, not just a God who can love, or is good at it, or is a champion of love. He is love. It's his very disposition. Um, my wedding band, um, I, I like to call it my Lord of the Rings wedding band because it's got lots of scribbles on it. It's not in some Elvish language, but it's, um, it's in English, and it's basically got the word love in, in, a, in, a, in a italics written all around it. And on the inside, it actually has one John chapter four verse eight. God is love. Okay, and so you know it, it's important. It's a, it's a very fundamental part of who God is. God is love, and, and, and it was and for the same for the early church, there was a, a strong understanding that the Holy Spirit was absolutely key to all of this. Saint Augustine said it. Thomas Aquinas also said it that the Holy Spirit is love, and it, and he's almost like the gem, the gemstone of the Trinity that kind of brings that cohesion and that unity, and as a unity held together in love. Now here's a question. If the Holy Spirit is love, if God is love, if the Holy Spirit in action is love in action, and if the church is walking in the Holy Spirit, what should the implication be? No, what's the implication? The implication should be that the church should also be walking in love. Should it not? There's a, you know, there's a takeaway here. If God is love, then we need to be operating in love as a local church, you know, in relationship with one another, but also if the outside of the local church. When people look to our church and they see the Holy Spirit moving, you know, they should see love. If they don't see love, there's a serious question mark there, isn't there? It? Because it's part of God's disposition that God... Is love now? Finally, I'm going to wrap this all up now. The fourth point is that the Holy Spirit and the Trinity. Well, well, I said it, the Holy the Holy Spirit and the Trinity as a divine dance. Now back to the creedal statement again. It's, it, it says that the Holy Spirit is the Lord. It says it's the giver of life, so he, the Holy Spirit brings life and transfer, transformation to people. Uh, and he also talks about how the Holy Spirit speaks for the prophets. I was thinking about, thinking about that. I was thinking about... I was looking in the Old Testament, where it either talks about the Holy Spirit, or where the Holy Spirit is sort of described as, as speaking, or where God speaks. And my, I think my favourite uh, passage in, in the Old Testament, where it talks about the Holy Spirit, it has to be Joel chapter 2. I love that. I really love that passage, Joel chapter two, towards the end, um, from verse twenty-eight. It talks about the Holy Spirit being poured upon all, f- all flesh, on all people, both young, both old, both male, both female, both slave, both free, which is it's, it's, it's so powerful. You're talking about a world where the social divides are absolutely huge, where women and, and slaves are factory commodities. And, here, and here's this passage saying that God's going to pour his spirit on everybody as if none of that even matters. And, 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 and it's also a passage of, of revival, of transformation, of restoration. It, it's, it's an amazing passage. And, I, and I, I, I'm very excited about that. And what's that got to do with dancing? Well, there was a, there was a, a, a Roman Catholic theologian called Richard Waugh, who basically reminds us that in the, in, the, in the early days of the church, they had what's known as the Desert Fathers, where basically they were like the early monks. Just think of it that way. They were, like the, they were the beginnings of the monasteries. And they had a word to describe the Trinity, um, to describe this cohesion, this unity, this, this love, this, this vibrant um, life-giving relationship that they have, And the word was, was perichoresis, uh, which... Our, our nearest translation in English is, is dance. The Trinity is like a dance. The, 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 trying to describe how wonderful the Trinity is, that that's the best thing I can come up with. It's like, it's like a dance. I think of, he, he's watched I Strictly Come Dancing. I like the waltz. I love seeing the waltz, where they kind of move, and, it, and it's smooth, and it goes on, and it's ups, and it's downs, and it's, just, and, and it's, and it's, it's mesmerizing, isn't it? Well the, whole, well, the Trinity is just like that. Now, another theologian called Cathy Lucuna, she, she takes it a step further. She says that the Holy Spirit, what he, what he does, is that he doesn't keep the dance purely within the Trinity. What he does, he, he brings, he reaches down to creation, to people, and he brings people into communion with God. And otherwise, the Holy Spirit sweeps us into this divine dance. And that's what's going on in Joel chapter 2. God is pouring himself because he doesn't just want the dance to be up there where we can spectate, but he wants us to be able to participate in this wonderful, life-giving, transformation dance of the Holy Spirit and the Trinity. Um, let me give you one example. Many years ago, So, I know, 15 years ago, maybe longer, I can't remember. Um, I went to the theatre with some work colleagues. Um, This is back when I had money and I could afford to go to the theatre and pay full price for a ticket. Long time, long time ago. And um, we went to see the the play Jerry Springer, the opera. I know, I know, very controversial. So, you know, I went with my work colleagues and we saw the play Jerry Springer the Opera. And we got to the halfway bit. Now, I appreciate you guys have, may have no, have no idea who Jerry Springer is, but he was like a big deal in the 90s. It's basically a talk show, um, which was... I'm sure half of it was fake, but there'd be lots of fighting on the stage. There'd be something very controversial. Um, some would be confessing some sin to their husband or their parents, and it would just kick off all the time. Well, we got to the stage in the play where something like that was happening. So there was a, um, a wife, a husband, and the wife's mother, and the wife confessed that she had a secret job as a stripper. And, and both the husband and the, the mother were surprised, and it caused a massive fight, punching the, the typical Jerry Springer thing. Big Steve with his bald head jumped in, pulls him apart, Jerry Springer just sits there, the usual Jerry Springer thing. But, he, but then Jerry Springer turns to the husband and says, but please don't get too angry with your wife. And the guy goes, well, why not? After what she's done, after fact she's been lying to me and holding all these secrets. Then Jerry Springer goes, but hold on, mate, you've got secrets off your own. What do you mean? Well, we've been following you with our secret camera. Oh and so, so, then, so then they start projecting on the screen the video footage. And, her, and it begins with the guy being at work, and that seems all rather reasonable, but then after work, he goes to a strip joint. Ah, so he's been caught. But, but it gets worse. Because after going to a strip joint, he, he goes into the woods and goes into a cabin. And in this cabin, there's white men in white hoods. That's why. He's only part of the KKK. But then it gets even worse. Because now, the, the audience, that kind of I see fake audience, part of the show, they start saying... Bring out the clan! Bring out the clan! And Jerry Finger goes, "What a splendid idea!" And then suddenly the Ku Klux Klan comes on the stage. Oh my goodness! But then it gets, but then it gets worse because the Ku Klux Klan not only did they come onto the stage, they only bring out a big cross, don't they? Oh my goodness! But then it gets worse because they then bring out torches and they set the cross on flames in the middle of the stage. Now at this stage, the real audience, I.e. me, my work colleagues, the hundreds of people watching the show are horrified, it was probably the most awkward sensation I've ever experienced, it was so awkward, people not sure whether to boo, people not sure whether to walk out, everybody's stressing at this moment because it's gone way beyond what they expected, the, 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 you know, the acceptable line was there, they went way beyond it to so the public we can barely see them anymore. And then just when you thought it couldn't get any more crazy, the piano begins to play. Du-dun, 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 du-dun. And then the Klu Klux Klan begin to dance. They, and when I say they begin to dance, they don't, they don't just prance around. They do a professional dance. A proper professional dance. And I'm watching this and I'm thinking, this is this is beautiful. Honestly they start doing all this synchronised dancing. And they create these star shapes, and they create a little circle this way, and a little circle that way. They weave between each other, um, and they're singing as well, and they're pitch perfect. The singing is absolutely fantastic. And I'm watching this ridiculous, crazy scene, and I'm thinking, I don't know how they've done it, but they've taken this, this carnage, which we looked like 30 seconds ago, and they turned it into something that's eight entertaining, but actually in a, in a, in a sort of creepy kind of way, i um, beautiful. It, in fact, to be honest, it was the best part of the whole play. I couldn't believe it. It really was the best part of the whole play. Now, I was thinking on that, and I was thinking about that, and God, and I was thinking in some way that's what God is doing. Not, not necessarily the Ku Klux Klan, but the fact is you've got God in his wonderful, life-giving dance as the Trinity, and you've got us down here in a white mess, in a white pickle, With our selfishness, our brokenness, our sinfulness, our insecurities, our fears, our hatred, our racism, our xenophobia, you know, mischievous attitudes, just, just, just cruel, just, just weak, just depressed, maybe, and God is reaching down, and He's sweeping all this up, and He's bringing it into this transformation dance. He's transforming creation. And I'm thinking, actually, if, if Jerry Springer, the show, can make the Ku Klux Klan look beautiful, then how much more can God do to us? <laughs> uh, you know, how much more can God transform us? And that's the key thing about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not, it's not some kind of energy. It's not just a box full of tricks. It's about transforming lives. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants to transform lives. He's a real person, a real God, Absolute, the gem of the, of the trinity and he wants to transform lives, transform our lives, transform the lives of our neighbours, transform the lives of our communities. Can I get him in? Amen. Yeah. Why don't you all stand up? Um, we haven't got much time. Perhaps if, um, uh, if the worship team could come up just for one song. What I want, what I want to do, I want to have a, 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 a bit of a brief response to this because I think it would be wrong to talk about the Holy Spirit and not respond. And so this is what I want to do. Um, two things. If you've never experienced being filled with the Holy Spirit, I want you to come to the front, and I will, and I will pray for you. Okay? If you have experienced being filled with the Holy Spirit, that's good. But what I want this five minutes to be, I want you to be the opportunity for you to reintroduce yourself with the person of the Holy Spirit. I want these next five minutes to be an opportunity to put our dancing shoes on and to participate in, 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 in the Trinity, this divine dance, this, with the person of the Holy Spirit, to experience the joy of the Holy Spirit. That's what I want to do. I, don't want to just, I think it would be wrong for us just to go and not do that. So... If you've never experienced being filled with the Holy Spirit, and here's one clue, if you've never spoken in tongues, That's one clue, um, please come to the front and I will pray with you. If you have, then great, you can still come to the front, but this is more about you reconnecting with the Holy Spirit. You can turn in your chairs, you can perhaps pray with the person next to you, but here, let's just make these next five minutes count. Let's just really just spend time with the, with the Spirit of God. Can we do that? Amen.